I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. On this week's episode of Circles Off, we are taking questions from the listeners. It's been a long time since we've done this, so we've opened up the floor to all of you out there. we got questions on closing line value. We got questions on match fixing. We got some personal questions. We got some questions about my cooking skills. All of that and more this week's episode of Circles Off. Ah, here we go. Welcome to Circles Off, episode number 78, presented by Pinnacle Sportsbook here on the Hammer Betting Network. 78 is a tough one. 78, got a current leaf. A current, if, if it weren't for a current leaf, TJ Brody. I love the name Brody, by the way. I don't know why. What up, Brody? Brody. <laughs> Brody's such a great name. It's, it's, you won't remember this. Maybe you will. I don't know. I don't know if you ever watched Seinfeld, but there's an episode where um, Jerry has to bootleg a movie and deliver the tapes to a guy named Brody. Absolutely amazing episode. Guy just wants, guy just wants the movie shot. And Jerry's like, we need cameras set up on the balcony and this and that. It's a very, very good episode. I'm not describing. Never all seen the, Seinfeld. For all, you should watch Seinfeld start to finish. I don't actually know if it'll hold up or stand the test of time. It might just it be. Does. Like, does I've it? watched it. I watched it this year for the first time. And then I watched it back this year again. So I've watched it all the way through twice this year alone. Absolute banger TV show. Season one, eh, not my kind of show, but it really, really picks up steam. Brody, yeah. great character from Seinfeld. Uh, other 78s, there's never been a 78 in NBA history. MLB, very, very few. NFL, off the top of my head, active players, no. I know a former player. I don't know if you'll know him. I don't, and I don't, I don't, I'm obviously older than you, so it's different. Bruce Smith, huge defensive end back in the day. But I, Bruce Smith was in a movie called Little Giants when I was growing up. Little Giants is like that guilty pleasure sports movie. Like terrible, but it's a football movie. And Bruce Smith like makes a cameo, as does Emmett Smith. Bunch of football players make cameos. Very, very good movie that brings me back to my childhood. Little Giants. Terrible football team that runs a bunch of trick plays. And All wins. Right. And wins. Upsets the Cowboys. Uh, before we get into our Q&A today, This episode, as always, sponsored by Pinnacle Sportsbook. Pinnacle is the official sportsbook partner of Circles Off, and they are the world's sharpest sportsbook, now live in the province of Ontario. Find out what professional bettors have known for decades. Pinnacle is where the best bettors play. You must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly. We can't preach that enough. Not available to those in the U.S., and we're going to get a question this week about Pinnacle. A couple well. of questions about Pinnacle, a couple of questions about closing line value and how it relates. So we will go ahead and answer that. We're going to start it off, Rob. As always, I'm going to read out the questions. We will divide these up here. So we'll start off with the general betting category as uh, we've classified it here. Why does anyone bet super heavy faves? Minus a thousand, for example. Low reward. All right. 
Pizzola. We'll let you answer this. Okay, first. okay, listen. Value is value. I think we can all agree on that, right? And there's nothing worse than losing a bet on a big favorite. It absolutely sucks. Have I lost on a minus 1,000 favorite before? Yes. Have I lost on it multiple times? Yes. It's horrible. Horrible, horrible feeling. But at the end of the day, why would someone bet a super heavy favorite? They would bet them if they thought it was a valuable bet, right? Like if, if you could bet a minus 1,000 that you think should be priced at minus 10,000, that's a valuable bet to make. And you would do that, right? Every single time. So you can say low reward. Sure, low reward, but it's all, I mean, it's all dependent on risk. It's just higher risk more than it is low reward. In theory, the reward is for me is the expected value. So Correct. you might actually be able to get a higher reward on a, a minus a thousand. I will echo Rob. Like if you lose a minus a thousand, feels like shit. No, it just feels horrible. You're like I literally bet this it was minus a thousand and lost. It is what it is. It's gonna lose sometimes. Um, you know, one thing I always do is like once a bet is placed. Once a bet is in and the money is locked in the account, at that point, the odds of the bet, once the game starts, it doesn't really matter in terms of like, you know, the money is already made, it's locked in. And now it's just about kind of the amount of money you're going to have returned to your account. So if you bet a minus 1,000, 1,000 risk to win 100, that's an $1,100 swing at that point. Meaning if you win that bet, you get 1,100 bucks back. You lose that bet, you get zero back. In theory... That's the same as betting six, risking 600 for 500. Yep. So the risk at that point, if you want to think of it, is like, yes, you don't physically win that money. And if you're playing on a credit account, and I guess think of it a little differently, but not really. It's the same thing. You're putting your money in and you're getting an amount out. So it's like, if that game's down to the wire, it's $1,100 swing. There's no low reward, low risk, nothing like that. It's it's pretty much all the same at that point. I mean, the most common one that that we can remember that, you know, highly publicized that lost a big favorite like this is the no safety in the Super Bowl, right? Uh, Back-to-back years, this was probably seven or eight years ago, there was a safety in the Super Bowl and people who bet the no safety at minus 2,000 got torched. But if you were to make that same bet on every single game over the history of time, you'd be up a lot of money. Um, So yeah, it does suck. But at the end of the day, it's just a matter of value. And listen, there's going to be some people where your risk tolerance is low and you're going to say, no, like I, I don't ever want to risk 10,000 to win a thousand or a thousand to win a hundred. And that's fine. Like you, you can bet your own money however you want to, but the simple answer to why does anyone bet super heavy favorites? It's because they see value in that number. And I would like, if I, if I thought a super heavy favorite was mispriced, I would bet it multiple times. I've bet minus a thousands. Most of the time it wins. Sometimes it loses. It is what it is. All right. Next question. Um, to what extent are the odds offered on a very small market? So let's say he's saying something that's available only on a couple books, two, three books. To what extent do those odds reflect the true market probability of an event? Is it possible to gauge the probability better than the books, given the fact that these three books cannot copy the odds? Um, you know, I guess from a sharper book is what uh, he's insinuating here. So essentially the question is, is it possible to beat the market uh, and have a truer probability than the closing odds if it's something that's a really small market and only three books are posting odds for? To which the short answer is absolutely. 100%. Um, It's possible to have an edge on the market in something that is 
um, you know, posted on every site and has, you know, much higher limits and liquidity, that's not out of the question either. It's just much more difficult to do. So essentially what the way I'd answer this is the least amount of books posting this, that means that not only do those books care about it less, so they're going to put less effort into actually pricing that, but since it's not available everywhere, other betters in the rest of the world, the whole world is not going to care about that as much, meaning they're not going to actually put in the time to do that. Um, prime example would be, you know, let's say a soccer market now for the world cup, because those markets are so big in liquidity. Now it's not that the sports book is going to be sharper on that versus the regular season soccer. It's that more betters. Now the biggest betting groups, the biggest betters in the world are actually putting effort into that because if they can master it and find an edge on that, they can make hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars as opposed to hundreds or you know, just a, a thousand bucks. So for that reason, I would say anytime there's more liquidity, you have a less chance to beat that, but it's not because of the books. It's because you're competing against other players. I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, a lot of times, yeah, it, it's, it's the fact that there's just not going to be a lot of competition in that market. That's going to give you an edge. Um, I can think of a lot of examples off the top of my head where some books just open some small events and OHL hockey. That's, that's a, a pretty good example where there's like three, four, five books in market, one PPH that has OHL hockey lines. And you, there's, there's just no one betting that stuff. Like very few people are betting that stuff because it's hard to get down on it. So um, well said. Yeah. And another like example is why would I focus my time? Let's say I want to make money betting on like originating and focusing on a curling model when I can only bet curling on three sites for $100 max. The most I'm going to make over the course of the season, if I master that and clean it up, maybe a grand or two. Why would I focus on that when I could focus on something bigger that I can make way more money? So that's the, the rationale there. All right. Up next. Um, for 2,000 years, the smartest men in the world all knew that the earth was the center of the universe. For decades, first half NBA totals were simply the full game divided by two. In what area do you anticipate the next paradigm shift? The next paradigm shifting betting breakthrough to come. Okay, sorry, I gotta reread this again. It was uh, split out in a couple, couple lines, couple lines, couple lines in the Word document. It Rob sends these in a Word doc, <laughs> and I don't have Microsoft Word on my Mac, so I'm reading them in like a text editor. <laughs> in what area do you anticipate the next paradigm shifting betting breakthrough to come from? All right, Rob. We'll let you uh, answer that one. This was tough. I thought about it for a long time and didn't really arrive at like a great answer. Something related to in-game live wagering is what I'm going to say. Um, the models are getting better. That means that the offerings that sportsbooks can put out are getting better. And I think someday there's going to be some kind of trading exchange for it. Um it would have been FTX, but you know what happened with, with FTX. Um, yeah, it's th that. Actually, I don't know what happened with FTX. No one does. <laughs> well, true. No one does. That, no one has any, any actual idea. That's a good point. Um, yeah, I think it's something related to live in-game wagering. That's all I can come up with. I mean, uh, I'm not a very good critical thinker. So this, is, this comes from uh, Luke, who is one of someone on Spanky's uh, trading team. Uh, great, great dude. I, I just, I mean... You got anything else other than live betting? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I'd say uh, the, the easiest like paradigm shift is when there's like a rule change in a sport 
that doesn't okay. get a, like that takes like a year or two to actually find the true effect of it. So like there's rule changes every year in every sport. Usually they're very minor. Occasionally they will have something that's a big impact. And a prime example would be like the NFL moves the extra point back. The extra point used to be guaranteed. Now it's no longer guaranteed. People were like, oh, that's going to be bad for the, like that's going to shift games under because like the extra point now is going to be missed more often, which is true. But really what it did that people didn't realize until like a year or two later is the three is no longer as key a number. The four is no longer as key a number. Now the one and two come into play a lot more because more teams are going for two, missed XP, stuff like that. Um, anyway, stuff like that is where I think there's going to be a paradigm shift. Even as simple as like, okay, in this year's World Cup, for some reason, there and it's already been accounted for now after the first couple of games, but there is just like double the added extra time Yep. than previous soccer games or World Cups. No one really knows like, exactly why i mean they issued some statements but you never used to see like nine minutes of added time so what does that do extra time and added time extra chance for a goal shift stuff up like easy you got to figure out be quick to those and you'll be able to uh to make money on those shifting things another example would be like the var checks didn't have those in the past you know in the past world cup i think they might have had something did they have var in the past world cup uh, I don't, I think this might be the first world cup. They definitely had it in the euros. They had it, they had it in the euros, Yeah, but even now, right now it's like they're checking everything. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, sp- sports are constantly evolving. So like from a, on the field type of thing, like home field advantage in sports, drastically shifting. Remember when they played in a bubble versus how it is now, how travel is accounted for, you know, in the past, I think maybe people would have said that, you know, uh, each team has the same home field advantage or applied it you know, across every team the same way. I think that's changing in the way people model games and so on and so forth. So, I mean, with each individual sport, you bring up a good point, but definitely rule changes are going to have a pretty good, like, impact on, you know, we we have this baseline for what everything should be and and we do end up seeing these shifts going forwards. I thought this was a very intriguing question. I'm sure if you polled you know, a bunch of sports bettors, you get a lot better answers than the one that I gave, but it's not my, it's not the way I think. But what are you saying? Like a paradigm shift is in what's coming next for the biggest, ed, the biggest angle, the biggest edge. That's how I interpreted like it. What does as? everyone think that's true? That's no longer true. I think he's kind of saying. Fair enough. So that's why I said like rule changes is probably the one that's going to fix it. Um, I don't, and there's probably a few others as well, but I don't necessarily know what it would be. Like, shifts in the way the game is played is another one. So, like, in MLB, like, who who is the first team to just say, like, you know what? Why are we putting a guy at shortstop? This guy never hits it there. Let's move the this guy over to the other side. Like, when teams start doing those things, um, which you see every year, and those are, like, the things I love the most. Yep. Like, okay, for example, look, look what, about, what about in soccer? Okay. Now, I don't know if you know what I'm about to say. On the free kicks, guys Lay laying down, down with the his wall. back. That's a steal. That like, well, well, how about how like I, I was thinking because so, you mentioned baseball with the shifts. How about when the Rays just started throwing out a guy for one inning for to the start first the inning, game? the opener now? Yeah, no, no, no longer a Completely closer. Um, the real answer is if I knew what the big paradigm you shift was going to be, I would not be replying to you, Luke. I know Luke of all people, you're the last guy on earth that I would be wanting to give this answer to. Um, but I don't know, and I, I'm just you know throwing some random stuff out there. Yeah. Um, up next. All right. So is coding experience necessary to originate sides and totals? If so, where should someone 
with zero coding expense experience there. Okay, so first off, if so, then where would you start? Okay, so you could obviously learn to code. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't really recommend that uh, depending on your age. If you're young, if you're younger and you like are interested in coding and you find that that's a cool thing, then I mean, obviously that's something you should do in general if you find it interesting, but I don't I would not recommend someone who is trying to get good at sports betting learn to code because they want to get good at sports betting. Do you agree? I think coding is just generally a good skill to have, but I kind of agree with you. Um, So like to back up on the question, I don't think it's necessary, right? I don't think you have to be a good coder or understand how to code um, or even necessarily understand how to use Excel, for example, which is like a a step down from being able to code in Python or R or whatever, but it's going to make it easier for you to succeed is what I would get at. Like there's nothing that is a pure requirement in order to be a successful sports better. Um, when you talk about originating, there's people who win that are just handicappers, right? Who, who kind of, they have the process that goes on in their head of how to make a number on a game and they know what to account for and they can get to that number without having a, a program that runs that number for them. You know what I'm getting at? So I don't think it's a necessity but I definitely think it's a nice to have and you can make your life way more efficient in doing so. That's the biggest thing for me. I actually went to school for computer science, never graduated from university, but I had a coding background. I just never applied that, you know, that skill for years because I was working as a radio producer. When was I going to have to code? I wish I had kept up with it because you can make your life that much more efficient rather than manually inputting numbers into Excel every day and, you know, doing things, you can have something do that for you in a second. So it will be helpful, but is it a necessity? No. Do you, are you working and competing against other people in the market that are, that have those skills? Absolutely. Yes. But to your point, is it, you know, and would I, would I recommend that if you're going to start sports betting today, you need to go out and take a, a intro to coding or something like that? No. I, I would strongly recommend against coding for, and, and like we could phone a friend here and uh, phone up my, my business partner, Julian, uh, who, who is a coder and uh, coded the entire app for BetStamp along with the, the, the team of developers we have here. But this is something where look at the skills you need to be a good coder. And then also think to yourself, do I have those skills? Like it is a very tedious job. It is something where you're going to have a very, very steep learning curve. It is essentially the equivalent of learning a new language with a shit ton of problem solving lumped in. So if you're not a problem solver, you're not going to be a good coder in general. And if you don't want to take the time to learn a new language, like you're going to be spending like a year or two before you're even at an amateur level of coding. And who knows if you'll even be interested in sports betting at that time. Like it's, you're not going to have any edge or anything like that. You would need to, you know, honestly don't, don't, don't learn to code unless you want to learn to code. Don't learn to code to go into sports betting. It's bad value. Instead, what I would do is play to your strength. What do you have that other people don't have within sports betting? So do you have some information that other people might not have? Are you like better at, being faster to these small market information things online. Can you get like college hockey information faster than anyone else? Cause you've got relationships with some beat writers at some colleges or some students and stuff like that. That would be one thing I would focus on stuff like that. Another example would be, what do you have that other people don't is maybe you watch 
the NFL more, you watch every single game and what do you look at and say, Hey, this is something that might not be factored into the line. And because I'm watching all these games, I might have identified this before someone else, not because other people don't watch the games, but because I thought of it in a different way. So anything that you hear as a narrative, you're not going to want to look for that. You're going to want to look for like dumb stuff, stupid stuff. Oh, you know what? They do this. This coach always does this. These guys always do this. I'm going to go ahead and live bet this because I found that this coach always, you know, he's not actually going to go for this and it's baked into the line that he's going to go for this. He's probably going to settle for a field goal. Under is better here. Yada, yada, yada. Anyways, next question. I was just looking up the, I was about to say that there's more than one way to skin a cat. And I was, we talked Beat about, a, what is it? Bit a bat? Something? No, the, peel the, a potato. There oh, are more than one way to peel a potato. That, that's what it was. There's more than one way to peel a potato. Yeah. Sports betting is like, there, there's obviously di- different paths you can take and they all lead to different outcomes and so on and so forth. And the amount of work you're going to have to put in and what you're gonna have to do on a daily basis. But there's lots of paths where coding is not a necessity. It's not, I mean, it's, it's a, it's not a necessity in a, in a lot of the paths that lead to successful sports betting. It's a valuable skill to have. Yes. But I don't necessarily think it's as related to sports betting as people think. And that's why I wouldn't recommend it. And it's simply put is just that, but like, I, I don't even know. I like now I feel like I feel bad t- telling people, especially if you're watching this in like university, like if you're looking for a hobby and you think that you'd be interested in it, do it. But I, I think coding is a very valuable skill to have in general life. I think it could open up a lot of avenues for you outside of sports betting, in sports betting, whatever you want to do. I would never say to somebody like, ah, don't bother learning how to program. It's going to lead you nowhere. I mean, I think it will lead you a lot of places. Okay, but what do you even need programming for, for sports betting? Uh, automation. So automation. So you don't even need to be, a, you need a, you need web scraping. You need tool building. You don't necessarily need like, like, or you need financial modeling or predictive modeling. You don't like coding is so different. Like you don't need to be a U uh, like a UI UX developer. You don't need front end skills. You don't need front end skills, but here, here, here's an example. And just being like completely honest with, with people out there, I can go to the grocery store now for an example, get away from my computer during the day. And if a hockey play comes into range, I'm just going to get an alert on my phone and I can confirm that and someone can bet. Yeah. But you, you could just get that built for you. Sure. I, I completely agree with you, but in, in some capacity, someone would need to program that. Understood. Yeah. So I guess what Rob's saying is it, you need it. What I'm saying is you need it, but you don't have to do it yourself. And I completely <laughs> agree with that. Listen, we do that all the time. I pay for a cleaning service at my house because I don't want to clean and that that's money well invested. And I'd much rather this, my own models are programmed by someone else because I didn't want to do the work. Why am I going to, it's going to take me 10 times the amount of time and it's going to be horrible code that I'm going to have to sift through years from now. Like, why would I do that? Yeah. Plus like just, there's no guarantee that you even build it correctly. Exactly. (laughs) Anyways, uh, moving on next question. All right. Um, Lines seem to be opening up sharper this year compared to years past. Have pro betters found it harder to find CLV this year? If so, why? Pizza man. So I'm the, I'm not a great person to answer this question. Because you don't bet the openers. I don't bet the openers, nor do I even look at the openers because I get tilted. <laughs> like, like for example, you know, you're, we're, we're, it's, it's week 13 in the NFL. I, I found out that New Orleans opened plus six against Tampa Bay. 
And I would have really liked to bet New Orleans this week, but they got bet down to like plus three and a half before I even saw the line. I now knowing that they were plus six earlier in the week and that it got plowed like that, it's kind of upsetting. So I, I refrain from that and from looking at openers for the most part. It's hard for me to say. With that said, hypothetically, like if you just take a step back, course openers are going to be sharper, I think. Because well, every year, yeah. not just this year. That's what I'm saying. Like it's just, that's going to be the progression over time. It's not, it, first of all, there's way, there's way more people in tune with the market now. Even if the opener is not super sharp, there's going to be enough people that are betting it right away that are going to sharpen it enough. You know what I'm getting at? It's just going to be harder to get edges later and later in the week. It's, it's like a competition to see who can get down earlier now. Well, one thing that people don't necessarily realize is that the opener also just gets sharper every day. It doesn't matter. Like, so every year, yes, but also every day of the season, it'll get, it'll get sharper. So the opener is sharper near the end of the year than at the beginning of the year. It doesn't necessarily mean that the closing line is more or less valuable. In, that, in, in my opinion, the closing line is equivalent value at the start of the year and the end of the year. But yes, there will be more line movement. Like you see it in college basketball right now. Like at the start of the season, like you have like teams right now that are still, f- that are favored by like 12 and a half points and they'll lose by 17. Like that doesn't mean that the line is less, it was less efficient. Like that's still what it is. It just means that there's more variance in the game given that like you don't really know what the teams are. That's still the true line. It's still the accurate, press, still the best representation we have. But I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Like, yeah, that typically wouldn't happen as much near the end of the season versus especially for college where new players come in all the time. Like you don't even really know, like is, is Davidson good this year? Like who do they have? Like you might be, a, you know, a lot of players who are just new and stuff like that. So opening line always gets sharper. We've noticed this as well. Um, the, the more, the more recent trend I would say is opening lines are getting sharper for smaller market stuff now, like props, um, like, you know, NFL props. So like I, four years used to like clean up on like NFL touchdown scores and like first touchdown scores. And I've taken like a step back on that this year now, especially on the first touchdown score, because the edges just aren't there anymore. Like all of the lines are now just a little, like they they don't hang as many of the players that are within the range of outcomes. They'll just like remove those guys now. So you might have like, Hey, this tight end got so much usage last week and he's still going off at like, plus a thousand or sorry, plus 10,000 to get the first touchdown. Now it's like, Oh, they, they just, they want to protect themselves. Like, okay, we'll play price man, like plus 3000, no value. So edges go away all the time. It is what it is. Uh, have he, he said, have professional betters found it harder to find CLV this year. Um, I do most of my NFL betting Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays of every week. You're still always going to have the edge on reacting to news regardless. So you can always get, Probably good CLV on that. Think of the Chicago Bears as an example. Last week, Justin Fields is out. Um, you're going to have a market movement. So you still obtain good CLV on the news-related stuff, regardless. I will also say this, and we're going to talk about this later with another question, I think. Um, 
but there's more influence in the market earlier in the week relative to past years. So we, we see now that there's more people who can post a play on a Monday to a wide audience that the market is just like, everyone's going to go bet that and the market's going to have to move off of that because there's like a lot of money coming in at one time. That can suck at times where you would agree with that play, but it also could create opportunity for you later on um, where maybe you think the lines move pushing in the wrong direction and you can get CLV off of that. I will say this in all honesty, I'm down in the NFL this year. I've had a losing year. I've had the best closing line value that I've ever had in betting the NFL. So I don't think it's harder well, that to league's find. fixed though. That league is fixed. Um, I don't find it harder to find CLV. I honestly don't. I think it's, it's just as easy as ever because there's actually so much happening in market now that when, when you do have all these, these moves happening over the course of a week, I think it's easier to pinpoint where a number is off and be able to bet it. It's fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, okay. We're going to get into actually some CLV specific questions. Ooh, this should, this in, should be a good one. In a smaller market sport where CLV is not as consistent a predictor of success, at what point do you just give up betting the sport when consistently beating the market by a good margin, but consistently losing? Um, that's tough. We might have different answers to this as well. Um, but he's talking about smaller markets. I am a believer in CLV. How small the market though really depends. Like if you're talking like curling or like formula one matchups or something where it's like you're barely getting any coin down, then it's a different answer than if you're talking about smaller market as like NBA props. Cause that it's different. So I track my CLV on everything that I do. I believe it's important. In Betstamp. You can track all CLV in Betstamp automatically for you against whatever book you want. So if you want to track CLV, by the way, I know we didn't... I, I, I got to plant a question here once in a while. <laughs> There's another question that just came in. Where do I track my uh, CLV? How do I do it? Uh, thing. That's a quick one that just came in. Um, basically, if you want to track it, you're going to go to the Betstamp app. Uh, you can download it in the App Store, Android, iOS, or you can use the web platform, www.betstamp.app. And essentially, when you track your bet, you just click the game and track it, and then automatically it's going to tell you what your closing line value where You could sort it by play type, all different tags. It's revolutionary if you're like originating anything or if you're trying to get better at sports betting because you're going to be able to see all your history. And then you're going to be like, wow, I actually am getting slaughtered even though I'm beating the market. Or you might say, hey, I think I have amazing CLV in MLB. But then you might actually put it in there and be like, nah, I don't. So anyways, betstamp.app. Um, Thanks for that last second question. Yeah, it was, it was great. Great timing, actually. Just as we were recording, came in right at the last minute. I love when that happens. It's great. Um, I track my CLV for everything. I also track a secondary metric for every single bet that I make. People don't know this. I might have talked about this before on some other stuff. I don't know that I have. I predominantly, for example, bet hockey and football. That's not exclusively what I bet, but predominantly what I bet. I track my CLV. I also track like expected goals and expected points in those leagues. Because for me, I want a combo of getting good CLV, but also knowing that I'm not getting lucky on my outcomes. And I think that's extremely important. So I don't know that there's a measure in every sport of luck. I don't know that there is. Like, I don't know that NASCAR, for example, if you're betting head-to-head matchups, can you say I got lucky or I got unlucky? I have no idea. But if you can, if there is some sort of way for you to determine whether you are lucky or unlucky on a bet or whether it was just a coin flip or whatever, I would try to track that as well. 
And if you're in a scenario where you're getting good CLV, you're losing, but you've been unlucky, then keep going. If you've been getting CLV, you're losing, and you've been lucky in the process, you know, then you, you maybe it's time to stop. Like, there, I think that there's secondary metrics to look at. Now, you it depends on what you're betting. It's hard to say for, like, it's hard to do this for everything that you bet, I get. It. Like, for a prop, it's very hard to say sometimes, right? But, you know, if you bet a wide receiver under, this is a random, under five and a half catches, and the guy gets six targets and six receptions, you probably had the right bet, right? I think there's ways that you can say after the fact, this was also a good bet and use your closing line value and your determination of whether or not in hindsight that ended up being a good bet to determine whether you should continue going forwards. Yeah, I know. So you you do expected goals. If you're doing a major market, you should probably do like expected points, expected goals, because that's just another way to analyze the game. Another one that people use, I know, is like they'll basically take the outcome and then see like how close were they. So when you when you're looking at that, um, let's say so Rob mentioned like the prop market, but let's say you had like Raiders plus three, and they lose by four, then that's better in theory than if they lost by like twenty four. You still lost your bet. It is what it is. But the game was you were closer to the actual outcome than expected, uh, or sorry than than it appeared. So if you're consistently losing player props and like you're way off, then that's probably something that you should look at and then maybe stop. But if it's like relatively in the sample size, um, within reason, like there's enough people in the world betting right now that like anything is possible. You can get CLV on every single game and still lose over the course of a season. It's within the realm of possibilities. It's not necessarily like a guarantee. Just think about it. You could roll a dice and you could roll a five 25 times in a row. It could happen. It's not likely, but it, it could literally happen. So we also need to fit factor in that. Like we're not betting insane amounts. If you bet five games a week, that's so small over the course of the whole season to I mean, actually make like one NFL season. Like if you're someone who's just like three or four games a week, which a lot of people do in the NFL, that one NFL season is going to tell you absolutely nothing. Zero. The, the sample is so small. Honestly, the sample over three or four or five seasons is actually so small. This is why I like to track a secondary metric personally, like full, full market NFL, right? Okay. I'm beating the close X percent of the time. This is my expected value based off of the bet that I made and where the closing line is. But I, I, I also want to know whether I'm quote or unquote on the right side or wrong side based off of how the game played out. And I do think that that should factor into things as well. Um, it's tough, man. Like CLV is smaller markets. You know, it's a good point. It's a, it's the question is phrased well, because yes, it's not a consistent predictor of success. It can be really annoying to get good numbers and continue losing sample size is definitely important. And, and also it's just like, you have to make a, a determination of, of, some sort of, of luck. Like, am I on the right side of variance right now or the wrong side or neutral? I think all of these things play into it when you're deciding if you're going to keep going or if you're just going to stop. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, up next, how significant is CLV, closing line value, in regards to NFL player props? Is it possible to beat props long-term without obtaining CLV due to the lower amount of focus sportsbooks place on them? You can take this one. So 
absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it is possible. Um, you would still obviously want to not have a bad number. You know, if you're betting a uh, quarterback over uh, 286 yards and then he closes uh, 280 yards, you don't want that. It's not good. Like, in theory, you should still always want to get the best of the number regardless of how variable the market is. With player props, it's... I can say this, like, the CLV is not is not as really important as the games. And we know, we know that. And I'm trying to, you know, figure out a way to say this without saying too much, but like props are going to like cut accounts already. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily want to be jamming like high value props all the time. You could sometimes, but it's not really the best use. So um, what I'd say on this is like, if you have a re- like a really good props model, like a really good way to beat props, like you're probably going to want to do this um, and try to just like, you know, not not necessarily like pick off all the bad lines or anything like that because there's no need to do that. You'll stay alive a lot longer. So you could definitely beat props without getting CLV. Um, the other thing with props is like a couple hundred bucks will typically like, you know, move the line. Yep. Whereas like with a full game, try try betting 100 bucks on or try betting $500 on the Broncos money line. It's not going to move the spread at all. You bet that on a prop, it'll actually move it. So that's where, where you got to realize that um, you're not necessarily in a spot where the CLV is as accurate as it could be or should be compared to the games. But with that being said, like I wouldn't say you don't want to get CLV um, right. because you, you never want to take, like I said, you never want to take it over 286 and then before the thing you look and now it's like, Oh, I could have got 280 Cause that it, it matters. Of you're going to lose a couple bets on that and you're going to be pissed. Completely agree. So still try to get the best of the number, but um, you know, prop props is the equivalent of a really small market and it's bigger than, you know, the curling or whatnot, but it's still relatively small that um, you're just going to take the CLV more uh, with a grain of salt as opposed to like world cup or, you know, like football. I, I I bet a few more props than I used to. I almost never used to bet props before. Now with the way that the market is heading, there's so many props offered. You can find edges, right? I'll tell you this. In a, in main market NFL, for example, if I make a bet and the market moves against me on an NFL side, I'm probably not going to load up at the updated number. Sometimes I will, but I would have to have like an extreme amount of confidence in my number on that. When a prop occasionally moves against me, I tend to double down on it. Because it's not that much money. Right. And it's like, okay, I have a, an opinion on this and like someone else obviously does in this market, but I don't, I don't value like that market move as much as I would someone who's betting like 50K on a side at Pinnacle or 100K on a side at Pinnacle on a Sunday morning, right? That's very different. Yeah, World Cup limits, Total half money. a million. <laughs> And if you're trying to beat props right before a game, you can tune in to primetime Monday, Thursday, Friday. Rob Pizzola, Eric Eager, Monday night. Joey Knish, Andrew Walker, Thursday. And Rob and Fabian Sommer, Sunday night. They're handing out props 15, 20 minutes before game time. Up on the air. All tracked in Betstamp in the marketplace. Primetime NFL tracked in real time, updated during the game. So... There you go. There's wow. a perfect example. I, I Thanks you, for answering. Should, that was actually been... a question that just came in is where would I get player props before the game? <laughs> so how, thank you, Zach. How did, how did he know? Like that quick. I yeah. mean, he's, yeah, he's so just on the ball. By the way, 9.9% ROI on the year. Prime time. 
How many props? Plus 12 and a half units. We got a sample size ba, 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 bang. Boom. <laughs> 115 plays on the year on prime time. That's great. That's really cool. If we dropped Kanish from the lineup, <laughs> we'd, be at, we'd be at 50% ROI. You got to tag him, Kanish, and then sort filter by tag, and he's going to be down <laughs> 90%. I'm actually, I, I, I don't actually want to split it out by creator on this because it will cause some sort of rivalry stuff to happen. A riff. I, I think I'm probably down the most. <laughs> I don't uh, hit the drop. I, I there was one. There was one game. It was uh, Monday Night Football, Halloween Night, I think. Bengals and Browns. I think me and Eric like just that was an atrocity. Like zero for five on that night. That killed us. For the what most happened part, to you, Pizzola? I know. I know. Um, but yeah, it's been a good year. All right, next question was basically the same question. So we'll skip it. Basically, whoever asked uh, if UFC CLV is less indicative of success compared to NFL. Yes, yes. as we just mentioned. All right, up next, for a prop-based betting group, what is an ideal ROI? I'm assuming the bets you're placing have higher expected value attached to the full game. Is there a theory, like in theory, why like wouldn't the ROI be much higher? So what I'd say is the your ROI, it should always just be like your, your ROI shouldn't necessarily, it should be higher, but it shouldn't be necessarily that much higher. Reason for that is if you have unlimited resources, then there's no reason for like, let's say you find some edges that are like 10%. You shouldn't just play those 10% edges. You should still play down to like 2%, 1% edge. So in that it's going to be a little blended. So a lot of people say like, oh yeah, props, you'd be earning like 15%. Like Sure, if you only want to pick out like the best four per week, then you can do that. But if you want to make the most amount of money, you should still play down all the way to two. So I'd say, uh, uh, you know, probably like 4%. I honestly just don't like questions like this. No offense to whoever asked it. I don't, I don't know whose Twitter handle it was or whatever, but like, what is the ideal ROI? I mean, it's, it's really dependent on the person, right? Like there's, there's some, it depends on the amount of effort you're putting. There's so many things that go into it. What are your costs as a group? For a prop-based betting group, okay, how many people are divvying up the money? Um, are you paying any additional costs in terms of like automation, whatever? How much are you giving? What percentage of your accounts are you giving to other people? Like it's going to depend on the operation that you're running. So like your ideal ROI is like whatever makes you happy. That's, I, I, I don't like to answer questions like for, for what Johnny's ideal ROI is going to be is going to be very different from what mine is going to be. It's going to be very different from what, you know, some other groups are going to be. All right. Does the, okay. Uh, these got questions are, we got a lot of similar questions. So we're going to skip I, the I, next two. I, I, let's answer this one. Okay. Does the closing line in a major market like NFL sides represent the true median outcome of the event? Okay. We can answer that. The I, median. Yes. And I think because the limp of what the limits are prior to the, the game going off or game getting started, it's it's an oddly worded question, right? Because is it the true median outcome? No. Is it the truest? Yes. Do you know what I'm getting at? It is the best we have. Exactly. So it might not be 100% true, but you have so many people betting into one market who are all like influencing the line. And if they're all influencing the line, it's going to settle in a place that is mutually agreed on by winning betters. So that is the truest representation of the median outcome. 
are there going to be times where it doesn't look like that was the case? Of course, there's going to be times where that doesn't happen. But if we look at everything that goes into it, it is the truest median outcome. Of course. All right. Sportsbook questions. Here's one. Our proud sponsor, Pinnacle. I heard Rob talk about the Pinnacle lean before. Can you explain what that means? Zola. Absolutely. So Pinnacle is considered a sharp sports book. And when I say that, they do not limit winning betters. Pinnacle publishes their limits. You can bet. What I can bet is what Johnny can bet. It's what producer Zach can bet. So when people talk about the Pinnacle lean, we did an episode back in the day, long time ago. For those of you who are watching on YouTube, we weren't even a video show yet. Episode 25 in podcast form with pro better Michael Craig, who's now part of the Right Angle Sports team. And he talked about this phenomenon, the Pinnacle lean. Essentially, when Pinnacle has the best price in market, it's usually an indicator that they lean to that side of the game. They have received information from all of their betters that are betting into their accounts that that is quote unquote, the sharp side. And typically speaking, I've tracked my historical results when I'm betting into pinnacle best line in the market. You tend not to do all that well. This happens for all the sharp sports books that are out there, but because they are accepting action from sharps and not just rec betters for the most part, they're shading a line where they think the number actually should be rather than where their customer base is going to bet. And that's what we talk about with the Pinnacle lead. Uh, It's something that comes up all the time, but essentially when Pinnacle has the best price in market, that's what the quote unquote, um, you know, it's a good indicator of what the sharp side is in the game. That is the Pinnacle lean. Mm -hmm. With that being said, Here's another reason why you need a Pinnacle account, as we mentioned. You got to know what the real-time odds are on Pinnacle. We've got, we've got Pinnacle on the BetStamp odds screen. It is, it is real-time, pretty much real-time. I'm going to be honest with you right now. So Pinnacle, a lot of people claim to have like a real-time Pinnacle feed. Pinnacle, what they do is whenever you're logged out of your account, the lines are like delayed by like five, six seconds, maybe sometimes 15 seconds. When you log into your account, they update right away. Yep. So anyone who's got like a pinnacle feed is typically like a five, six second delay on what the market is. So if you're looking to really see like line movements before the game, stuff like that, you also just need to have a pinnacle account. I believe you need a certain amount of money in your account for it to like, you can't have $0 in there, but I don't think it's much might be like 20 bucks, 30 bucks, something like that. You can, you can check it out on the site, but to have that account open is actually a true resource as well. So what I would say is like, you know, when I bet, I bet at pinnacle all the time. I like betting at pinnacle because I still think that I can beat the sports book, despite the fact that they are the sharpest. I still think I can beat them on some stuff. Maybe not everything, maybe not NFL sides, maybe not world cup, but I can definitely beat them on some stuff. You need to have Pinnacle open, not only to actually play into the best line in the market, but also just to just to use it as a resource and see where they're shading, what lines are there. You might be able to get some info off them that could help you with other books. And also, for like World Cup or for something like that. And also, 
I mean, we do mention it. It is important. We're extremely price sensitive. We bet into sports books because we think we can beat the sports book. But when you're betting into a lower hold as well, it's easier for you to win in the long run. Generally speaking, you have a a, a rate at which you have to, uh, you know, 52.4% at minus 110. Once you start reducing the VIG, you need to win at a lower rate in the long run in order to profit, which I think is very important as well. Okay. Um, stop. By the way, I wish that my Craig one was in video form. Craiger. Craiger was uh, great. That was great. I, I, we haven't done uh, repeat guests yet on Circles Off. We're still, in the, we're still in the double digits. Maybe when we get to the triple digits, we'll consider some repeat guests. But Craiger would be a, a good repeat guest. Okay. Um, so we got a couple sportsbook questions. Um, there's a lot of questions on like limiting accounts and how that works and stuff like that. It, it's, um, it's very variable. And, and to be honest, like Rob and I don't work for Sportsbook. We, we don't know. We don't know if we did, but like we I, I, would try not to get limited, but I, I don't know. It, it's, it's not easy I, that we can just say, Hey, these are all the answers. This is what you do. And also if we did say those on the air, then someone's going to hear those and then they're going to switch those up and then they're not going to actually do those things anyway. So I, I'm sorry. We do get about, even in the DMs, 10 to 15 questions every couple weeks about this stuff. And uh, apologies to anyone that it's like very hard uh, for us to answer. And it's not because we don't want to. We, we just don't know. I've consulted for many sports books in the past. I can tell you just from experience, it's universally very different by book. Some books are very on top of this stuff. Some books are not on top of this stuff. Some books... Depends on the amount you deposit in the first place that you're going to be profiled in some way. Some books don't care about that. They care about other stuff, so on and so forth. So I agree with Johnny. Like the whole, the questions about, um, you know, if I do this, will I get limited type of situation? It's like, who knows? Some books, it's automated. Some books, it's manually a trader looking at something every single day. Some days are somebody not looking, some books are somebody not looking at it for two weeks. Some books like Pinnacle, you're never going to get limited. So like, it just depends on the book. And I can speak to past experiences, but it's not helpful in any way because first of all, those are in the past. Things could have changed in five years for every book. That's very likely what's happened. And on top of that, uh, my experiences are in the offshore space and be very different in the regulated space. So I don't think that like anything that we would say in regards to this is just guesswork. And I don't like being in the business of guesswork. Fair enough. All right, so we're gonna move on. We got two more sections. There's a couple of personal questions for Rob and I here. Oh boy. Um, so we'll, we'll tackle the, you know, we'll tackle the media questions first and then personal for anyone who uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't give a shit about uh, Rob or I. So number one, media questions. We've got three of these and then we'll get on to the, the personals. I've gotten burned by tailing Twitter cappers before Ooh. and I didn't know any better. I'm sorry to hear that. What are some of the telltale signs to avoid? How do I know if someone isn't what they say they are? And I believe we did get some DMs as well from a few people or, or this person that asked as well. Where do I start? Where do we start? Where do we start? Uh, first of all, like probably don't tail Twitter cappers unless there's some sort of verified documented line history in Betstamp. I mean, it's pretty easy to spin up a fake Google sheet. I've seen it before. People just delete plays from a... You know, they'll link a Google sheet of their history to their profile and you can take a screen cap of it and then you go back like three weeks later and their previous year's records have changed. 
because it's just that easy. It's not documented by third party. So even a trusted Google sheet, probably not a good indicator of it. Um, people do recap their own records as well on their own Twitter timeline. Honestly, I do like to see that, but you can still be taken astray by that. For one, not a lot of people recap their closing line value. They only care cap their records. And again, if somebody over a 200 play sample is up 10 units and you don't know their closing line value, you probably don't really have an indicator of whether or not they're going to be successful in the long run. So um, telltale signs to avoid straight up. If they're not third party documented, then they're probably avoidable. Now, there's other things that immediately set off flags to me. Like my friends do this. I'm in a group chat with all my friends. They, they, they're constantly looking for people on Twitter that they can tail because they don't want to do any work. They just want to follow people's picks. Please don't get me started on this, Johnny. I've, no, just, this is my group of friends. And they'll send me to like someone's account and be like, oh, this person, like, you know, I think, what do you think of this person or whatever? General rule of thumb, probably 99% applicable. If someone has a pinned tweet of like a winning day, perfect day from three weeks ago, I would avoid that person at all costs. All costs. Because now they're in the business of marketing themselves rather than just posting. And anyone who's in the business of marketing themselves like that, probably not someone I want to tail on picks. That's just one that really irks me. Like go to someone's profile page, pin tweet from four weeks ago, patting themselves on the back for a 4-0 night. It's like, why has that pin tweet not been updated for one? Like it's not, if you're pinning a tweet, you're someone that pins tweets multiple times. Second of all, like marketing 101. Like it's a great way to market yourself. I don't want to be taken, um, you know, taken out back by a marketer. Let's put it that way. So that's a telltale sign to avoid. But there's so many, there's so many. Maybe we need to redo one of those early episodes. How, how do you... How do you search on Twitter for to find a very, very old tweet I want to find? I, I did a tweet thread about this when we like about two years ago that I wrote up myself and then released it from the bet stamp. Mm. And I'd love to bring that up again. What I'd say is a recent one that um, I've noticed a lot is uh, if anyone says that they have info on a fixed match, <laughs> <laughs> you probably don't want to buy that info. Now, I don't think that needs to be said, but I'll say it anyways. And then the second thing Rob mentioned, like if they have a pinned tweet, they're, you know, they're more marketing. Like another one is like, if they're actually paying for advertising, like legit paid ads on Instagram or Twitter, that's also a very telltale sign. Like you don't want to be buying pics from someone who's paying to show you, Hey, I won six. Like it's, it's obviously fraud. It's obviously like not, yes. I wouldn't call it fraud. It's, it's obviously misrepresentation uh, that they're doing. Are you able to find an old tweet? I'm, I'm looking for it. I remember the thread and I remember Rufus commenting on it. I think that's how I'm trying to search for it. I wish Twitter had a better search function, man. How do you, how do you search for like a, an account in there? Just put the ad in front of the account at Betstamp. Do you know any words that were in part of the tweet? If you can remember some words, this will be very easy. I, um, I, I got to tell you guys this just real quick while you're trying to find this, this isn't a Twitter cap or anything, but like, because of now where I work and doing like the hammer stuff, I have friends who just reach out to me and by no means am I like someone who should be giving out advice on different stuff, but like, they'll be like, Oh, what do you think of this strategy or whatever? So one of my buddies, he's still at school and he texts me two weeks ago. He goes, Hey, my roommate has been betting these parlays every NFL Sunday and he hasn't lost yet. Like, what do you think of this strategy? 
was like, all right, like, let's hear it. <laughs> this is his strategy. <laughs> he takes every favorite. Okay. And he goes on. Uh, I'll just leave the book out. He goes on a book where you can get alt lines on the favorite and takes them to the max amount. Alt line. Of alt, like on the alt line. Wait, wait, like, like. So like on the spread. Like, does he, so let's say they're minus six. Does he take like minus 20 or does he take plus 20? Plus 20. Oh, okay. Highest he can go. And then he bets like, he, he parlays every game that day on that. And then he bets like 200 bucks on it or whatever. And he's like. There's no way this team could ever lose by this amount. (laughs) And he's like, he's like, there's, they're obviously going to like cover that. And I just said, dude, one time it's going to burn you. One team is going to lose and you're going to hate your life. I'm like, just, like, I get it. I get why you think this is a good idea. But, like, one time it's going to bite you in the ass and you're going to be like, ah, damn. When I was, like, 23 years old, I was working at The Score as a radio producer. I used to produce, like, a college football Saturday. And one of the hosts every week just, he didn't bet anything against the spread, didn't bet totals. He just put together one money line parlay for the day with like all these massive favorites. And I would be like, hmm. you know, the first couple of weeks he would win and he'd just come to me up. He's like, I don't understand why people bet spreads. Like this, this team is not going to, like this team is a 34 point favorite. They're not going to lose and they parlay them all. And I didn't know any better. And I did this for a long time and then realized, yes, obviously big favorites lose all the time <laughs> in college football. Like it happens so consistently. And yeah, it was just like, yeah, it's, they're not going to lose. 20, 20, 28 point favorite at home. Like, yeah, the thing is, it, it never happens until it does, right? A 16 never, ever in history upset a one seed in March Madness until they did. did. Mm-hmm. Until they did. And then what happens? You know, it, like now parlaying all the one seeds for 30 years, you're down, money. <laughs> I, I worked that, that, um, so I was, I was a degenerate better at that time as well, but I was working alongside other degenerate betters. And I hate, this is off topic on the Q and a, but every year I won't say his name just cause good. He's a really good guy. Really liked, enjoyed working with him. But every year at March madness guy would look, come in with like a massive bag of money to the office <laughs> and give it to a guy and be like, I need you to put 10,000 bucks on every one seed for me. Money line first round and I just remember one year just like a really uncomfortable office moment where like one of the one of the one seeds was just like down the whole game and this guy watching it I'm like I can never I can never get to this point in life where I'm sweating a one seed at like an obs- 10,000 to win 100 and just like dying on every possession and bucket and yelling at the tv and whatever and I was like <laughs> This is like, if I get to this, I need to stop. And uh, I'll never forget those days. I wonder if he still did that when I left. Because, like, maybe maybe, maybe he lost. I would, wouldn't want to be around him at that time. All right, I found the thread, by the way. Okay, I found a betting media thread, by the way. For me? Yeah, that you tweeted on October 8, 2020, about, like, how to identify, I don't, like, frauds. Yeah, that's what I'm going to read right now. Is it the same one? Does it start by betting media, breaking... Better wins one million dollars. Okay, so yeah, we're that's on the, the one. But I'm gonna laugh when you get to. So so what, here's what we're gonna do. Six, I'm gonna see if six. it still holds up. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Number one. 
So, so I wrote this thread two years ago. We'll read it back. We'll see actually if it still holds up. I might be mistaken. Things change. Maybe I have a different view on some stuff now. I'll let you know. So what I claim here is that I can identify 99% of losing bettors simply by analyzing one bet screenshot that they post. All right. And now you can too, if you listen to this. Number one, check which sports book the bet was placed at. All right. This is the easiest one by a mile. Okay. It's not right 100% of the time, but this is the 99%. Okay. There's some sharp books or some recreational books. Some books will literally not let the, the limit is not $1 million. So if someone bets 200,000 to win a million and the screenshots on a recreational book, then either, then it 99% of the time will keep it at that. They are a losing better that has a whale account that can bet whatever because they lost so much money. So that's, that's flag number one. If someone posts betting screenshot and it's from pinnacle, then you don't know, you don't guarantee that's legit, but you know that pinnacle doesn't limit. And that was their standard limit. Nothing fishy going on. He won that bet. Congrats. At the minimum, you know that he's betting a big amount of money into a sharp book. All right. So number one, this holds true for both big and small bets, right? So is a tote trying to sell you picks claiming a 70% win rate, but then sending you screenshots from a single sports book that is quick to limit winners, right? So if someone is still only posting like $100 bets, but they're like, yeah, I'm up uh, 17 grand, like you're probably not because you're going to get limited if you're doing that and, and, and sending it. So probably the that is the easiest way. You look at the screenshot, you see what kind of book they're posting from easiest. Two things on that one though. The first is the screenshot is likely, it could be, there's scenarios where people alter screenshots of their book. So like there's scenarios that in the past where I've seen that people just post fake screenshots. But what actually gets me about people who do this is that they're oblivious to the fact that by posting that screenshot, people can look it up, that they've, uh, but they've, they can be, look, look it up for one, but they've actually outed themselves as a, as a losing better. If, if they're getting those limits, you know what I'm in getting theory, at? Yeah. In they theory. don't realize it. They don't, re- they don't actually realize it. Yes, exactly. Okay. Next check the risk amount. Okay. Uh, bookmakers aren't dumb. The ones that cut limits of winning players often raise the limits of other losing players. Meaning if they're willing to offer customer a higher limits than you have at your book, you likely found a losing better likely 99%. All right. Check how many screenshots were posted. All right, this is a big one, okay? We preach line shopping, having multiple accounts. You want Pinnacle, you also want all the other accounts because that's how you're going to get the best value and win sports betting, right? So it takes many accounts to win with many books in order to actually achieve a desired bet size for most pro bettors. If you have one book, you're probably not going to get enough money down. So yes, there are pros who bet $1 million, guaranteed a game, many of them. There are no pros that bet a million dollars a game and it's all through one account. It doesn't happen. So most rec books won't even accept deposits that big. Like it's hard to get, like I, I, it's hard to get that much money even into your account. Now it's possible. Again, I'm not saying any of this is a hundred percent, but if someone has like a, th- a million dollars in their account, like it's very unlikely that they're like a super big winner. Number five, another seemingly obvious one that flies under the radar, but check the odds on the wager. Okay. So if the screenshot shows Baltimore Ravens minus seven and a half, but Baltimore minus seven is available everywhere. Then this person didn't even get the best number currently. So it doesn't hold true hundred percent of the time, but if you're not getting at least the market price, you're probably a losing better. So if you're getting like negative CLV, meaning you're taking a half point full point worse on your screenshot, 
it's a red flag. I'm going to add to this one. If it's not a screenshot and someone posts Baltimore ATS and doesn't give a number, I would also highly suggest avoiding that person because if they are not (laughs) diligent enough to even give you a number on the game that they think it's worth betting at, then like that opinion should not be trusted. Like MLB Orioles money line. Okay. What's the money line? Like, what am I betting here? What are you betting here? So I hate stuff like that. Yeah. Throw those out as well. All right. Number six, would a pro post a screenshot? Most pro bettors do not want their bet screenshots circulating on Twitter for a number of reasons. You definitely don't want a bet screenshot that has a ticket ID number because then people will see that that's your account. There's people that work at the sports book that could see that. So even if you are winning, you don't want that out there. It just doesn't really make much sense. If your numbers are moving the markets as well, you'd kind of want to keep that info safe. You don't want to be pushing that out there. Hey, this is what I bet. You don't want to give your full betting history to anyone. Uh, if you are like a true pro, right? Number seven. Before you go on there, I have to stop you. I'm guilty of six. This is why I said I was going to laugh at number six. I, there's nothing that bothers me more than people questioning my authenticity. So whenever I have a chance to put someone in their place, I'm going to do it. I, I am definitely in the minority of this. Because as soon as I post a screenshot, I'm going to get messages from my partners, betting partners, people I know of like, hey, why would you, why would you post that or whatever? Because I cannot stand, I like to put people in their place. So this is where- You mad, bro. I, I do get mad. When I, when I see a screenshot of like, oh, like a great pick, Pizzle, another like I'm going to bury that person because they deserve it. Fair enough. So this one, I won't put a, I, you know what? It probably still is 99%. I'm probably in the yeah, 1%. Exactly. 99 out of hundred, but I had to laugh because I am guilty of this. So I don't want to be hypocritical. I've posted many screenshots of big wins before. I don't post the screenshots of big losers because why would I? Agreed. You're <laughs> going to post only winners, but still I, it's not, again, nothing here is guaranteed. I don't like to say that, but so far I still agree with all the stuff I typed up two years ago. Yep. Two and a half years ago, actually. Um, number seven, don't let the media add credibility. This is the most obvious one. Um, just because someone in mainstream media wrote an article that doesn't mean the betters, you know how many dust articles there are out there for everything, not just in sports, but you can't just take a headline and assume credibility in people. It's ridiculous right now. Um, how many people think mattress Mac is like a winning better? Well, now they do. Yeah. The average person does like this guy won the most. Well, how is he not a winning better? He won the most money ever in sports betting <laughs> ever. I, this, I, I, I the biggest really single game payout or whatever. Yeah, listen, like, I, I don't want to disrespect every single person in the media because there are some good people out there. But that guy parlay Pats, he was featured all these things. That guy ended up, I don't even know the story, but that guy was like <laughs> lost all his money and then started like doing some. I don't even know what it There's was. There's been so many s- stories over the years, which I can point to that are like, who the problem is that so many people who are, are writing in the sports betting media right now just shouldn't be, they shouldn't like, they don't have the, the credibility or the knowledge of the space that is required in order to write an article about it. Sad to say, that's not to say there aren't good people out there, but I think this one is a huge one. Like, just be very careful of it. Yeah, so that that was it. Those were the it's seven good, ways you thread, can identify man. fraud betters. There's a few more that we can think of now, obviously. But that was just, if someone posts a betting screenshot, look at all those things, and you're probably going to ha- find a, a you know a fraud better. That's not actually a big winner. So there you have it. 
Um, hopefully you guys found that valuable. A uh, couple other things here. Um, who in the mainstream media do you believe is somewhat insightful on betting sports? A great segue here, Pizzola. This is tough because I don't follow a lot of people in the mainstream media. Um, and like, there's definitely people who, you know, work for CBS, for example. That can be super excite- insightful. Bud Elliott would be one that comes to mind. Big college football guy. You can usually tell like who the actual betters are versus who are the people that just talk about betting. I think that's like the biggest one, but like insightful, like who, who in the mainstream media is providing actual insight on betting sports right now? I, I don't like, I mean, when Preston was on Daily Wager, he was trying his best, but sure. the thing is like a lot of times these shows don't really enable you to be able to give out the info because they want to be more entertainment based. So it's hard to like explain certain things about line movement and whatnot. Um, like I, 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 I like, like I'm talking mainstream US right now. In Canada, there's no one, by the way, on any of these networks that knows anything about sports betting. Um, and when I say knows anything about sports betting, I don't know. I don't, I'm not saying the rules. Like people know the rules for the most part. There's people, a lot of people who don't actually know the rules and still do it. Give out picks and then don't even know that that's like the incorrect grading for the picks. For example, saying, oh, this guy lost my bet because this quarterback got sacked and he lost like seven rushing yards. Like, bud, don't, don't count as a sack. Like, that's not call, that's yeah. college football, not NFL. But Lost his parlay the, because of the push. It's like, actually, no, no you, just, pushed you just, just pushed. The, they just removed that wager. From yeah, them. and these are people on TV, obviously. Yeah. But when we look at the uh, the U.S., I mean, we've had Doug Kazarian on the podcast before. Uh, I think Doug, you know, maybe not, he's maybe not the sharpest pro better in the world, but uh, he's someone that definitely understands the way betting works and I do hand it to him. He does bet himself and he actually, you know, he bets for real. He's not, he's not betting. Like he was know. on the show talking about how he found a big edge. Yeah. And like, yeah, yeah. Was able to get down and power to Dougie K. He bets. He, he's on ESPN daily wager. He hosts an ESPN podcast. For betting. So like, like so listen, the thing not, with the thing with Doug is like, I, I imagine there'll be people that give us flack for this, for saying Doug, because he's on air giving out picks on a daily show. Right. Which is like, Okay. I get it. And there'll be people that give us flack for it, but like Doug bets himself and he's very in tune with the betting space period. That, that's inar- inarguable. Whether you agree with giving out picks or not on national airwaves. Okay. That's a different story, but this is par- part of the, part of the issue is, you know, I, people ask me all the time. This is actually true. People ask me in the DMS, like, why did, why have you not, why have you not gotten a job? Like talking about betting. For like a major media company. He does. It's called the Hammer Betting Network. Thank you. Thank you, Zach. Hammer.bet. Check it out. But no, seriously, for years, people are like, oh, why are you not working with them? Like they hired this guy. They hired that guy. And like, why Why are you not doing the th- stuff? Is like, I've pitched ideas to major companies before. They're not interested in anything but giving out picks on the airwaves or giving out the live odds to help promote their sponsor. Like it starts at the top level, Right. People are always upset with limiting sportsbooks, limiting players. Okay, sportsbooks are going to do that because the regulators allow them to do that, right? You're running a business as a sportsbook. People are winning money off of you. You can limit them and no one's going to do anything about it. Why do you think it's prevalent? Because the regulators are not putting practices into place to prevent that from happening. Same thing happens with betting content and the mainstream media, right? It starts at the top level. When people at the top level of companies don't understand how betting works, they think they do. This is the problem, right? How many bettors out there think they have it figured out? 
50%? I'd say even higher than that. I know this guy. I'm telling this guy. Oh, we, we you know, I'll, I'll, I literally had someone, and I'm not going to give specifics because it's not fair and I don't want to, and I'm not calling people out, but I had a major TV exec call me and say, we're interested in doing this with you. This is a couple years ago. We have brought on this guy, this person, and they plugged this person as if they were like the Billy Walters of vetting and they were a, a fraud, like complete fraud tout. Is it Yanni the Greek from UFC? I, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to give details. I honestly don't want to give specifics. It's not fair to specific people. However, it starts at the top level. So in mainstream media, there's just not a lot. You don't have, you know, if you want to be insightful on sports betting, you're, you're just not really given the platform to do so. I do miss Preston on Daily Wager. But everyone on TV is also like up on their wagers, right? Because they always just, they have to put a graphic in that's positive, right? The same way they're going to put uh, Aaron Rodgers 11-2 on the road in, in Chicago when like, you know what I mean? The the Packers are trash this year and he's losing all these games, but he's 8-0 versus the Bears last eight. So like, this is what people do. And then on top of that, with the betting stuff, it's like, you look on ESPN, they had, they had Yanni the Greek doing contender series. Like this guy was like, I think he was like three and 16. That guy was the most insightful guy in sports because you could just he bet put, the opposite I, of everything I, I, he gave like, out. I honestly, I don't know exact record. I'm, I'm spitballing here, but he was like three and 16 in Dana White's contender series. And they put the graphic up like uh, three and oh, last three main events because well, he won the main event. Like, but don't you, you got to, as a sports better, you obviously know that the main events are like the, are worth a lot they're more. They're worth more. They're, they're worth, worth more. Double amount. Yeah, double two unit bets. But like this, <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Even when you look at all these shows, they're giving out records and stuff like, it's always going to be something. And if they're really losing that bad, they'll just get another guy on there and then have a fresh start. And if, it, and if it's something else, then it'll be like, okay, well, now we don't show the record anymore. So it's hard to actually have someone who's in like mainstream media. What I mean by that is like on TV before the game and stuff like that. Um, but I guess Scott Van Pelt would be like a good ambassador for betting, right? Like he's not really necessarily giving out picks, but he's into, like he has a following that bets. He relates to the betters. In terms of insight, probably not a whole lot, but like as in terms of an ambassador for betting, he's probably a good one that's been able to like integrate betting into his highlights, for example, and his shows without actually just giving out, you know, straight picks all the time. Um, but it's tough because I mean, and, and like I, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about that and say that because I don't think it's necessarily the fault of their, of the creators, right? Like a, a good friend of mine, We've had multiple friends of ours who've worked. Rufus worked for ESPN, right? They just wanted him to give out picks. Flunked out after he flunked out. Went like one and eight. They said later, Rufus. Yeah, you're supposed to be a pro better, but like no one would even understand that anyone could go one and eight and nine. Like pro better. We want Stu Finer. (laughs) We want Stu Finer. (laughs) Later, Rufus. They said Rufus is a dog's name. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. That's basically what they said to him. Uh, But that that's like. It starts at the top level. Like you're not given the creative control. So when people message me and they're like, oh, why don't you work for, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? It's because they don't want to give me control to talk about betting in the way that I think is important. Most people just want picks. Sad reality. And that's how you end up with the space that we have. Agreed. It's tough. Um, all right. Uh, this one, I mean, I'll just ask someone answer. Someone asked it. Why does uh, Adam Chernoff have a platform and the approval of, of, of other public pro bettors when he himself is a confirmed scammer? I'll answer this. We've had Adam Chernoff on this program before. I would call Adam Chernoff a personal friend of mine. He has not ever hidden the fact 
that he was a confirmed scammer. So for people who don't know, when Adam was in his teens, he actually talked about this on our program as well. It's not like this is like, he just, he ran like a tout service, made a lot of mistakes in the process. If I just held everyone accountable, like, and never gave anyone in life a second chance for something they did in their 20s, like, what are we doing here? Like, I I think he has now reestablished himself as someone in the space who's trustworthy, who is not, you know, running these types of scams anymore. Um... Why does he have the approval of other public pro bettors? For that reason, I think he's just reestablished himself. So I don't think it's like, I think it's fair to give people second chances in life on, on certain things, obviously within reason. Oh, I'll point out, but like running uh, a scam tote service when you're a teenager doesn't qualify as being blacklisted from the betting space for the rest of your life, in my opinion. Fair enough. Like, like he's extremely knowledgeable. He comes with a, a like a, He's obviously been hired by Right Angle Sports, which is one of the most respective. It is the most respective pick selling service in North America. He's been hired by them. They obviously see something in him. He, he's just like, it's like one of those things where I was 22 years old. I ran an infomercial for covers. It's my first job, on-air gig, covers experts, live on national TV in the score interviewing basically scamdy cappers on a daily basis and trying to sell a covers product to an audience. I was getting paid like $38,000 a year. Had no idea. All I wanted was to be on air and I loved it. I had zero idea of what I was doing at that time. If someone wanted to hold me accountable for that, get a life. Like people change is what I will say. But why, when are you selling your hockey picks? I mean, maybe, maybe next year. All maybe, right. Maybe, maybe they'll be up at the hammer.bet. Maybe they'll, maybe, I don't know. Who knows what the future holds? You heard it here first. Rob Pizzola is going to be selling his hockey picks next season. I do have a, re- like, honestly, it's, it's not within the realm of possibilities or without outside of the realm of possibilities that I would ever do that. Do you, like people don't really understand what it takes to grind out a living betting. There's some people who do it extremely grinding out that rent money, Uncle K. There's people that do it extremely successfully, right? And they love it. I hate it. Like I seriously hate betting. I hate being at a computer and like I'm not quite at the point of like the spanky piss jar stuff. Like I have a washroom down the hallway, but I take my phone with me when I'm taking a leak because if something is happening, I'm going to rush back to the computer mid leak. I know it stings when you hold it, but I'll hold it and run back. Stings a little bit, but like, I hate that. I hate having to be available at all times. Right? So if I could monetize something that I think is worthwhile for other people and like not have the sweat, of having to be around for the daily grind of, of betting. Yeah. I would do that. It's possible. But if you're looking for Rob's hockey picks or hockey insight, you can find him on Edgework every Friday morning on the Edgework YouTube channel at 10 30 AM Eastern time. Myself, Rob and Andy McNeil breaking down that slate of the NHL games for the Friday night, occasional picks. What, we, what people don't know is we actually we don't actually pay producer Zach Phillips like a, a set salary. We pay him by the plug. <laughs> Did you know that? That's in his contract, Johnny. 
we, he gets paid by the plug. For this? Yeah. That wasn't a plug. Someone asked a question. Where to get Pizzola's hockey picks. Oh, sorry. Next, and next and where, to find P- where to find Pizzola. I'm the, I see it. I see it came in now. All right. Yes. So we got a couple of questions here um, actually on match fixing. This one's going to sound like I'm misreading this, but uh, I'm not. I'm just going to read it as it is. Do you think it's possible for a betting syndicate to gain enough influence that sports books are forced to invite them to their <laughs> script writing and trap line setting meetings? Or will those events always take place in better only environments? Can you read the next one too? Let's combine them. In the N- it, Okay, this one. If the NFL is using electromagnets to control the flight of the balls during field goals <laughs> and extra points, how long until long snappers start... <laughs> Serotipitously using demagnetizers. Oh, of course. And then when do we start incorporating that into our models? Then we got one more. Other than the World Cup 2002, Italy versus South Korea, (laughs) can you name one game you believe was 100% rigged? Okay. So lots lots going on here in the match fixing section. What are we going to talk about though? What are we going to talk about? Okay. This this is ridiculous for the... Okay. Well, matches are obviously not fixed. But then also some are fixed. Let's be let's say it as it is. Are there pro- are there probably like some Division One like random college Division One college basketball games that could be fixed? Maybe tennis matches. It's probably happened over time. Boxing, come on. Someone in the UFC just what was involved in some sort of like predetermined outcome? No. Yeah. Yeah. So um, James Krause, look it up. James Krause, Invo- J- like he he's a coach trainer and a fighter himself and uh there's some suspicious activity going on at uh fights involving james krause and uh he may have had some betting accounts open in new jersey unconfirmed yet he may have or may not have all we do know right now is the new jersey department of gaming enforcement has prohibited any new jersey book from taking action on any fight involving james krause or anyone on his team I'm sincerely, sincerely concerned for some people's mental health out there. On this, on this topic, well, they're that, just joking about the electromagnetic. Uh, oh, I know these questions are jokes, but they they stem from other people who actually believe this stuff, which is the crazy part. Also, what's crazy is the notion of Vegas knows. We've talked about this before. I don't know why Vegas knows, and nobody else knows. No, no one else outside of Vegas knows. Just Vegas, but. You had access to, like, let's say, inside information on a game, right? You knew someone was hurt, wasn't going to play. It's going to take a dive. Let's going to take it. The quarterback's going to throw this game, right? And you know this. Is your first call going to be to the Vegas sportsbook and say, "Hey guys, just want to let you know that the quarterback's going to take a dive today, and I just want to make you guys aware of this," or is your first call going to be to someone else? It's like, hey, I got some info. I need you to bet a lot on this and give me a big bet on this. They say, we got to hit the books. We got to hit the books. Is Every Monday say. and Friday on the Hammer Betting Network. Joey Kanish. All right, go ahead. Yeah, it's good. Joey Kanish, Brad Powers on Monday. Joey Kanish, Tom Casale on Friday. That's banger of a show. Absolute big bomb banger. But honestly, like... The Vegas knows things is so absurd. Like, how, how would they know and nobody else knows? How would they know? Is it because of these scripted meetings? I guess they're part of the meetings, but only Vegas is part of the meetings? 
Well, a couple things. There's one uh, international company called Sport Radar. They have like data contracts with a lot of the sports uh, sports leagues, uh, like NFL. Actually, I think they just lost the NFL deal, but they have like Euro- European soccer stuff like that. And um, they have like a fraud department that deals yep. with uh, sports betting and like potential match match fixing. And occasionally they do identify a couple fixed matches that come on maybe like one or two a year. And uh, the way they do it is they'll see like a ton of sus- suspicious bets come in on one side right before the game and then it's like a game where they can investigate and be like all right well clearly this thing happened and it's it was probably fixed and they'll rectify that and in in terms of like legal stuff i do believe sometimes there's like criminal charges that are handed out whether it be the players or the people behind it so i do i do think there are fixed matches i'm not going to say there's not nfl very unlikely um but yeah there are fixed matches most of them are like low level soccer leagues low level like european basketball um or like like you know Call it out of USA basketball. Yep. And Toronto Raptors. So out of NBA basketball. And then there has been a lot of like fixed, like small, small things like table tennis. Oh, of course. Like uh, th- like I'm, I'm not suggesting that nothing in the history of the world has been fixed, but like these major market events, if there was ever going to be like match fixing, it would be the betters that would benefit from it. It's not the sports book that's benefiting from it. It's the betters trying to beat the book. The book is going to win. Guys, like the book is going to win. They don't have to go out of their way to come up with some sort of scripted games. Like they're charging you a VIG to make your bet. And then you're going to go out on top of it and you're going to start parlaying. And you're going to start teasing games through zero and teasing college football totals. And you're going to do all this insane shit. The book is going to win. There is no incentive for them to, to match fix. The match fixing would come on the better side where the better now has an advantage over the books. So like, I'm not suggesting that that's the case, by the way, but that's where it would happen. The good news is only Vegas knows. And because Pinnacle is based in Ontario, they obviously don't know. And you still have a chance to win if you do bet at Pinnacle because they're not located on the strip. So let's say other than World Cup 2002, Italy, South Korea, can you name one game you believe was 100% rigged? So I don't have a specific game, but I do, I do feel a couple boxing matches were rigged. And I don't necessarily think they were rigged in terms of, like, the fighter taking a dive. Yep. Except for uh, that one fight a couple of years back, exhibition match uh, overseas, Floyd versus a guy by the name of uh, Tension Nishikawa. <laughs> if you go watch the fight, this guy took the biggest dive. He literally got hit by Floyd and, like, a jab. And, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, flew back into the... Into the um, into the ropes. It was a crazy one. Do you think, though, that maybe that he just, like, he just wanted to get paid and, like, just didn't want to get punched anymore? Probably. Like, oh, oh yeah. Maybe. Like, there's another explanation so, to it being fixed, which is just, like, this guy just didn't want to get, like, punched in the head a bunch of times. If you watch this, though, it's jokes. Like, it's <laughs> it, it, it's it's actually jokes. But, so that one, for sure, uh, was fixed. Then you look at a couple big level boxing matches which I do feel there was like, and this isn't necessarily a fix. I was like paid before, but like the judges, something went on. Like there's no way the first fight, Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder, number one, ended in a draw. And there's just no way it adds up to a draw. Like the rounds are just off. There's no way. So uh, Tyson Fury won that fight easily by decision, despite the knockdown in the final round by Deontay Wilder. Go look at the rounds. It's not even close. There's been a ton of UFC fights where it's been like, oh, well, what the hell happened here? But those weren't like, those are three-round fights where it's like, okay, one round, one round, you gave, okay, fine, I can, sure, it's rigged, but whatever. That boxing match was one of the biggest in the world at the time. 
complete travesty. There was the Canelo versus Triple G. Uh, I believe it was number one, which was also a draw, where it was like, okay, that was not a draw. Like, go look at the rounds. It's It doesn't add up, and it's always one judge is around, one judge is there, and it's like you kind of... You, you get something the, you shady. Get the, it makes you hate boxing. It, you get the feeling of it, but like it also could be human error. It could but, be, but human error. Like, there's no way you gave those rounds to Deontay Wilder. Just look at the thing. It doesn't happen. Listen, and oh, it's a draw. It's always a draw. So why? Why is it a draw? What, but then think of it. Like you know, if we're detectives here, what's the motive? Yes. Another fight. They draw bigger right. payday. Right now, you do a trilogy. Oh, they draw. Oh, oh, wow. We all made extra Well, that's money. what I was going to say. So, like, it's technically not a... That technically wouldn't be, like, a sports book fix or a better fix. It would just be to, like, grow the sport. But, first of all, this question brings back horrible memories. Because 2002, Italy, South Korea, my parents are of Italian heritage. I... Prior to this year's World Cup, where Italy's not in and Canada was, I would always be rooting for Italy in the World Cup. I vividly remember this match. If you are to look up the highlights of this match on YouTube, this this referee, they got to him. Like the ref, they got to him. There's still a chance that Italy could have won the game. But they got to a point where he just stopped calling fouls against South Korea, as blatant as they were. And he also gave Francesco Totti a second yellow, a red card for diving in the box when he was clearly fouled in that game. Caused the Italian coach at the time, I believe it was Trapattoni, but I don't remember, to throw a TV or smash a TV on the sidelines. But that one was that one was like definitely World Cup in South Korea. They wanted South Korea to advance. That ref, I'd say highly likelihood they got to him. South Korea then faced Spain in the next round. That match was just as egregious. If you look at the highlights for that one, you will see very similar. So I do think that there are times where this happens. In terms of can you name one game that you believe was 100% rigged? No, I cannot. I can name a game though that comes to mind as one where I've watched it and I watched it again. And I felt like there was something going on. Super Bowl 40. XL. Biggest stage. What what teams? Steelers and Seahawks. Hasselbeck? Hasselbeck, Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger. I think the final was 21-10 in that game. The referee you're for claiming, that game. You're claiming fixed. Nope. I'm just claiming extremely poor officiating one way. That got me wondering whether or not it was fixed. Bill Levy was the referee for that game. And man, it was just like the worst ref game. Like every every call that could favor the Steelers or go against the Seahawks in that game did. And again, by far the most likely explanation is human error. But I was pretty young at the time watching this game. And... I thought to myself, this is something's something's up here. That was my thought watching the game. Would it ever happen in the Super Bowl? I don't think so. Bill Levy has actually talked about this game publicly afterwards, where he says that like he he literally said that he screwed up and didn't understand the rules of the game. I'm not joking. But what was the what was the bad call? There was all sort there's miss pass interference, there's a pass interference. Like it, the, the whole game was refed as if 
It might have. It was like Mike Tomlin. It actually was Bill Cowher at the time. Pretty sure. Pretty sure it's a Bill Cowher game. I found the Floyd versus Tension video. You're telling me this is not fixed? Wait for this. This is. Wait for this. Wait for. Th- oh man. Oh, oh no. no. A second jump back. There is contact there, though. Oh, of course. But but look at this second jump back. Can... <laughs> this is incredible podcasting. I, I, incredible. We're gonna, we'll, play, we'll, we'll play this one. But that one, I, I expected it to be more egregious. Well, this is only one of the four. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this Fair. is only one of the four dives he takes. Fair he enough. needed to make it. He needed to make it good. Also, I, I while doing this, I may have uncovered a potential conspiracy that no one knows about right now. So we just mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, James Krause was actually like found in a trial now for match fixing. I'd search Floyd versus tension on YouTube. Here we go. But let's put on the tinfoil hat. No, look what I actually it. found. Mayweather versus tension was not fake. James Krause explains. No, it's all, it's all coming together. How? This is this. Why is, was James Krause claiming that that fight wasn't fake? First of all, unless he himself knows how to fake fights, your computer's th- listening to you. They know we were just talking about James Krause. You know what? I forgot about that. And they they've served this up, but like they've served it up at the perfect time for us. Henceforth, we will be known as the Match Fixing Podcast instead <laughs> of Circles Off. Okay, but you want to know something really sad? No, no. But this is crazy. I searched. Floyd versus tension, fake. Yeah. And then I go down and says Mayweather versus tension was not fake. James Krause explains. It's all, you know what? We're going to have to bring back the conspiracy videos. I'm not joking. This is one of Zach's first things I had him do when he started with Betstamp was on this wall next to Johnny over here. We have a green screen and I'd have him film a daily video about a conspiracy in sports betting for YouTube shorts. Some of these were popping off. People love the conspiracy videos. Kurt Schilling, was he bleeding? Kurt Schilling, was it ketchup? What were some of the best ones that you did? Um, The Michael Phelps Olympics. There's uh, there's claims that his pad was way more sensitive than the ones beside him because if you watch the video, it's it's literally the camera, the way the camera is set. But if you watch the video, it looks like the guy beside him gets a like fingernail touch ahead of him, but his sensor triggered first. So they think his was more sensitive, so that his, he would win. Um, there was an the other. You still one. have to get to a neck and neck scenario. It, it was so yes. close, but yes. it does appear yes. that Michael Phelps was second to touch the wall. And and there's an argument that maybe like the water pressure or whatever caused it. I don't know, but it was a guy with a buzzer up top. <laughs> you don't know. Yeah. There the, were any um, other big ones? I'm trying to think about... There was the tennis one with... Um, oh, man. It's escaping me right now. But it was the guy who faced off against... It was the Battle of the Sexes. Yes, Battle uh, of the Six right? Sexes. Thinks sexes. it was like an intentional loss through, through the match? Yes, uh, for TV ratings. Mm. Um, and then the other one is obviously the one... I actually watched the documentary about it the other day. It's the Tim Donahue Oh, yeah. uh, stuff, but it's not him specifically. It's the game six Sacramento Kings, Los Angeles Lakers. And uh, he says it's, he said, and I actually talked about it in that video, but he said it's the worst officiated game in NBA history, mm. which it actually, it actually is. Did we it's ever, pretty bad. <laughs> did we ever find out who delivered Michael Jordan the bad pizza? Did oh, we, that was one of the ones I did too. <laughs> did we ever find that out? That series, I'm telling you, like, 
we, we were doing videos for Betstamp at the time. And like, we were, we're still in our like initial stage of producing content and we were doing some stuff and we get like few views here and there on a daily basis. I'm like, Zach, let's fire up some conspiracy videos. He's, he's like, he's have nothing to do with sports betting. I'm like, <laughs> they do now. Let's go. These things were popping off, man. They still, I still get them recommended on YouTube every now and then. I see like a YouTube short of, of Zach. That's the stuff that people want to see. Like, and the score of the game was 9-11. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, oh, man. There, there were so many. There's, there's actually so many that, like, it's, it's amazing. I do want to answer a few of these personal cool. questions. Yeah, yeah. So we have a bunch more. Okay, you want me to read them to you? Sure. You want to rapid fire these? Sure. Um, we'll start with the personal ones. So uh, why will Rapazola finally give the Giants some credit when they are the Buffalo Bills in two years? I'm not a hater of teams, by the way. I'm a, I'm a realist. The Giants fans are delusional this year. They think that they're like going to be winning the Super Bowl or something. The Giants stink. I'm sorry. They got a good coach. Aside from that, ain't happening. If they are the Buffalo Bills in two years and they're one of the best teams in the league, sure. Dan I'll give, Dimes. I'll give them credit. Hypothetically speaking, if someone, bracket Joey Kanish, were to steal Rob's tortoise, tortellini, how much would Rob pay for a ransom? So, true answer, I am an animal lover. He gave, he gave tortellini away. The true answer is $0. Because tortellini, as much as I do love him, and I love feeding him, it's like, it, it suits me. How much me. would you pay to have Nish kidnap him? <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't pay anything. Like, he, he's, it, I'm indifferent, but like... Rob's wife has tried to pawn she has. him off. She's like, why don't we why don't we put Tortellini in the bet stamp office or whatever? I'm like, these guys, they can't even take care of themselves. You think they're gonna be able to take care of a of a live tortoise? No, no chance. But it's tough, man. You go away for vacation. Like I go away to Mexico for a week. My next door neighbor's gotta come over to feed him every day. His diet is very particular. He gets fruit on some days, little bit of protein on another. It's work to care for a tortoise. I like the guy. We'll do more content with him down the road, but Towards. Yeah. Uh, why do you hate Turkey and America? I don't hate America. I also don't hate Turkey, but Turkey is the most overrated. Like Thanksgiving. Like, of the birds. Uh, come on. Like people are like, they, it's like I'm insulting them personally when I say Thanksgiving ham is way better than Turkey. Like it's not even close. Turkey, everyone's like, oh, you haven't had a good turkey. You don't know how to cook your turkey pop properly. You have to get a spatchcock turkey and this and that. I've eaten like a million turkeys, okay? They, like at best, when it's like super flavorful, it's like a six and a half out of 10. You have to dump some gravy on it to make it like, you know, better. Turkey is, it, chicken is better than turkey. Yeah, I mean, like, I, don't, I don't disagree. Like what, I don't know what the infatuation is with turkey. And everyone is always like, oh, you haven't tried, you haven't, you haven't tried, tried my turkey. Have you tried turkey. this deep fried turkey and this and what? It's like, they all are just average. I was going to adamantly disagree with Rob, but then he's, you said the gravy on it. I think that's what, that's, that's what it is. It's sure. like, you get the, gra- you get the gravy on the turkey. Like that's what the. Like the next day on Thanksgiving or like the next two days where you're eating leftovers. I don't want it like the leftover. Tur- I want the leftover everything else. Oh, I give did. me the mashed potatoes. Give me like the stuffing and whatever. But like yeah, it's turkey, I'm just like, oh, turkey tur- sandwich. Why beat risotto? The teasing through zero of risotto recipes. Okay, this this act this actually drives me nuts. Okay, so I I made a beet risotto, red beet risotto years ago. I posted uh, some videos and pictures to Twitter. 
I don't expect my Twitter followers, at least some of them, to have the... Uh, actually, let me retract this statement. I don't want to lump everybody into it. That beat risotto is amazing. It's really good. It's a really good recipe. If you cannot enjoy a beet risotto in life, I actually just feel bad for you. And I feel bad that you don't have the taste buds to enjoy something of that magnitude. It's fantastic. Like why beet risotto? It's, it's a recipe that I, I tried once as like an experiment. It turned out amazing. We make it probably a couple times a year, me and Diana. And it's, a, it's just like, it's amazing. I could see why when people would mock it, it's like, oh, it's beets and it's like, oh, it's rice, like whatever. Very, very flavorful. Risotto, delicious. Beet risotto probably a bo- probably is the teasing through zero of risottos. I will give uh, whoever asked this that. I'd say it's not hard to beat. Cut that out. No, no, no. Keep it in. Do not cut. Uh, uh, we're Zach, not, we're not not, cutting. We're not cutting. Do not, not cut that I'm out. joking. I'm joking. No, but it's, it's very easy to beat a uh, red beet risotto. Well, sure. Of course, there's like, you can have like a seafood risotto. Yeah. Delicious. Seafood risotto. Salmon risotto. Regular. M- mushroom risotto. Regular mushroom risotto. <laughs> Rice with cheese and beans. No, okay. That, that, one, that no, won't no, let's be. Not. I'm dying at how you guys are emphasizing the word. You know what? I don't want to, I don't want to volunteer to do this. I'm not going to commit to doing this. But one day, I'm going to cook this beet risotto for the office. I'll dust you risotto for risotto. I'm not. This is not This is not going to turn into a, a risotto competition, okay? I'm not Chef Bobby Flay here or whatever. Tomato and Parmesan risotto. I'm looking up top risottos. Tomato, you might have that one beat. Tomato and Parmesan. That's on the top risottos? I'm saying you might have that one beat. That's the, that's the absolute nut low. That's, that's rice and sauce. <laughs> okay. Shrimp and mascarpone, done deal. Mm. Sounds sounds fantastic. I like an assortment of seafood in my recipe. <laughs> Amarone and radicchio. I don't know about that, man. These are getting out of whack already. They, yeah, they, you might have the fourth best risotto. Listen. After mushroom, essentially paella, seafood risotto, and a regular sandwich. I, I will not. Listen, I'm not going to say that this is a 10 out of 10 because you can always improve. There's always things you can improve, but it is a fantastic dish. It is really, really good. And like if, if you put the risotto needs care, you know, you know, you got to cook it slowly. You, you got to, you got to, you can't be an asshole and just like, you know, mix it in all in at once. It's got to be nice and slow. The stirring is very important. By the time you're done cooking a risotto, if your arm is not sore, you didn't do it properly. You don't want to stir it too much though. Okay. Uh, according to epicurious.com, the beet risotto Red beet risotto is rated the 11th best out of 27 risottos. So what are we in terms of percentage? Slowsted ahead, slowly, uh, like barely ahead of the toasted barley and spinach herb puree risotto. Bro, th- that's, that's 60th, <laughs> okay, okay. 60th percentile. This site lost all credibility when the 13th best was the salted caramel risotto. <laughs> that's, a, that's a dessert. What is that? I don't know. It doesn't look good. This is All right. this you would next be, question. If you actually cooked that in Italy though, they would actually deport you. You're done. Salted caramel, you would either be executed or deported. At least one of the two. Maybe both. How hard is it to be a Leafs fan? And do you ever bet them with your heart as opposed to your analysis? As a diehard Bruins fan, I'm asking for episode 78 aka Ray Bort plus one number. Um <laughs> how hard is it to be a Leafs fan? It's super hard. It, this is the Leafs I, I, this is not sports betting related. We actually have the worst fan base in the entire world in any sport. 
everyone is so negative about every the Leafs right Zach's now. Zach's not negative. At the time of this recording, Zach has his Leafs Digest YouTube channel. I don't know how he does it. I'd have a live. If you want on live, him. there's one more question. If you want live reactions to every Leaf game, where do you go? You go over to YouTube. You search Leafs Digest. We got the Hammer Betting Network's own Zach Phillips behind the camera. Circles off producer giving you a live reaction. Super chat him for two dollars. He'll do whatever you want. I sat. <laughs> I, I I sat with. Yeah, maybe don't say that. I, I sat with with Zach for lunch today, and like he's like. We're not, we're not drawing a lot of views lately or whatever. I'm like, what's going on? Leafs are on like a, like they've lost one regulation game in their last 10 games. He's like, yeah, people don't want to, to join unless the Leafs are losing. It gets tons of viewership when the Leafs lose and not so much when the Leafs win. And that is the literally the Toronto Maple Leafs fan base. It, they, they've lost one of their last 10 games and everything around the team is negative. We need another depth forward. We need more out of Austin Matthews. We need this. Our decor is not good enough. Blah, like, it is the worst fan base. And I get it. They have not won a Stanley Cup since 1967. They can't win a playoff series. So you get to a point where you get defeated. But my God, how many organizations, how many fan bases in the league would trade their entire organization for the Leafs' entire organization right now? It's at least three quarters of the fan bases in the league that would do that. Like, it's... It's the worst fan base. So how hard is it being a Leafs fan? It's the worst. I hate it. And it's more because of the fans. <laughs> and I, 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 I'm embarrassed by other Leafs fans. I yeah. literally am embarrassed by their Toronto Leafs, Leafs fans. Yeah. Do I bet with my heart on the Leafs? All the time. Bet them last night. No edge. Yeah. It happens. But I, I know what I'm doing, though. I know I'm doing this recreationally. Listen, one of these days, a Marner hat trick's going to cash. I don't know when, but it's going to cash. I, I got to shout out my dad. My dad texted me last night, half an hour before the Leafs game. Marner plus, oh man, I'm trying, plus 12,500, hat trick. I bet it. That's what my dad says. Senor I'm Phillips. Like, hey, nice. nice. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not even going to say no. Paul Phillips. Nice. Shout out Paul Phillips. Yeah. Paul Phillips. Um, but yeah, it's painful. Um, and then, yeah, like, the playoff losing sucks on yeah. top of it, especially right. with the amount of money I spend for tickets. Three week. more quick ones. If you're still around, we appreciate you. Uh, go sign up at Pinnacle if you haven't already. And also sign up at Betstamp, track your CLV. There you go. Maybe a little connection. Sign up at Pinnacle. Use it to bet. Use it to compare odds for live betting, but also use Betstamp for your regular betting. You're going to improve so much. Bet on Pinnacle, track on Betstamp. Share with your friends. Follow other cappers. If you are still listening to this episode, You've obviously enjoyed it. Smash the like button. Hit subscribe. Absolutely obliterate that like button. Honestly, you should have to buy a new mouse because you hit the (laughs) like button so hard that you smash your mouse. And if you're just listening in podcast form, we do appreciate it as well. Rate and review five stars. It does not go unnoticed and we really appreciate it. Um, What was... Okay, you know what? Rob, you can fire one person into the sun today. Who is it? I can't answer this question on air. I literally can't. Who is it? I don't know. The, the, I can't answer this truthfully in front. I, I'm a very authentic, real person. Say it and we'll bleep it out and cover your mouth. No, I can't. I will not. There's very little that I will refuse to do on this show. But at I, least just so we can get a good laugh. I don't want to give a BS answer to this, but specifically, I've been triggered by something today and I don't... I. You know, I don't. I just don't want to say it. All right, fair enough. You know, listen. Uh, I, I don't do this often. It's very rare we're gonna do a Q and A, and I'm gonna say I don't want to answer a question. 
but I don't want to also just make up some random person like, oh, I'll fire this guy into the sun. I can't like that's that's not who I am. All right. You guys talked a lot about bad beats on the last episode. What are your best wins? I'll answer that quick. Nobody remembers their best wins. I don't even have a single memory that I could think of, but I could remember 25 bad beats. It's terrible. That's a psychology. It is what it is. Rob, you got any good beats? Good wins? I do. Also, if you're on YouTube, we saw all the comments last episode of the bad beats that people had. I looked some of those up. My God, the pain that I want to hear about your best wins as well. We might as well do the positive with the negative. If you have your best wins, drop them in the comments. When I was a degenerate gambler, when I was younger, can't remember the year I was young. I was down bad. (laughs) Down bad. I emptied the account on the Lakers. Against the Spurs. When someone says they emptied the account and they were down bad. You know exactly what I meant. Dunk. I always like, said sports books should have a, sorry to interrupt. They yep. should have, any sports bag doesn't have a max bet button is terrible. But there should also be three buttons. There should be minimum, like there should be like a, like your standard unit. So let's say you set your unit to 100. There should just be a, a button that says like standard. So like $100 bet. Then there should be a max bet. And then there should be another third bet. Dunk. If you want to dunk the whole balance. Listen, I mean, I was already down bad. I'm betting on credit, by the way, at this time, which like I cannot pay what I'm about to lose here. <laughs> and I already owe money and I'm still, I'm dodging the guy that I need to pay, but still betting into the account, hoping that I can win my buddy money back and I'm down bad. So I emptied the credit on the account on the Los Angeles Lakers against the San Antonio Spurs. It was a playoff game. I believe it was game five. Believe it was Tim Duncan hits a shot with 0.4 seconds left for the Spurs to take the lead. I remember sitting, kneeling on my floor with my hands on my head of just like, you know, like you're, you're in that moment of like, I'm such an idiot. Like what, what did I do? Lakers inbound it to Derek Fisher, chucks up a three that goes down I will never forget that for the rest of my life. It got me out of that hole. I eventually built another hole again down the road. Built many of those. But it got me out of that one. In specific, Derek Fisher on an inbounds pass. Don't even know that he actually got the shot off within 0.4 seconds. I'm pretty sure he really didn't. But it counted. The Lakers won the game. I went from being down bad to break even. (laughs) And man, which usually feels better than going from break even to up. But, but honestly, you're right because best wins. I really can't think of like another one right now. Like my, my, the, the wins that are ingrained in my memory are not like big wins or ones where I was like a long shot. The Fisher one was, but like my favorite wins ever. I'll tell this story. I don't care. There was, there was, used to be a local Super Bowl party. Okay. It was put on by like the locals that ran the accounts in the Toronto area. Big Super Bowl party every single year. Full banquet hall, three course meal, like the works. Okay. Goes to show you how much they're making on a yearly basis that they can put throw in this Super Bowl party. Every single year, my table of 10 guys and every other table in this entire building, by the way, was going to bet the coin toss, no matter what. <laughs> and it was my, my best friend, Steve, that we always made pick whether it was going to be heads or tails, and he was going to place the bet on our behalf. 
And honestly, it's not a big bet in hindsight. It was like we would put down like 2,000 bucks as a table. But when you're earlier tw- in your early 20s, you're betting a couple hundred bucks on something plus all your other Super Bowl bets, it adds up. And my buddy Steve would always come in and he'd have some sort of logic. As to, and he's convincing everyone. It's like this year, it's going to be heads, this and that. I've watched all the coin tosses. I looked up the coin tosses at this stadium, these teams, like some sort of thing to convince himself. And this guy won every single year for us. Five Super Bowl parties. He won the coin toss all five times. And those, you, you, you'll never get like a rush like that of just everybody in a room. We're talking three, 400 people in a, one, one of the rooms there on a big projection, watching the coin toss, everybody cheering for different things. Boom, you win that coin toss, get the Super Bowl started right. Those are the, that to me is a better win because I could celebrate it with all my friends. Like I'll always remember that because you're celebrating that with all your friends versus something that you just like win big on. You know what I'm saying? It's like the sense of community, right? So that for me, those are my best wins. Super Bowl coin tosses, five years. By the way, the first year I didn't attend that Super Bowl party because I had a conflict, I had to go somewhere else. That party got raided, shut down <laughs> by, the pe- by the police. You could say I'm an extremely lucky person. Crazy. Yeah, illegal underground so party. I'll give my actual answer. My best win ever, which is the luckiest win I ever had and probably will ever get, is um, I had a really big position on uh, Patrick Mahomes rushing yards under in the Super Bowl, the one that Kansas City won over San Fran, 2020 Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. The, oh the, my God, the I lowest I... number I had was under 29 and a half. So I had under like 34 and a half, 33, 32, 31, everything. And I jammed it. I was really, really hard. And um, he went over big time during the game. And then they got the ball back. They were up 11 points, and they were just trying to run out the clock. And Mahomes did three kneel downs in a row. But since he had to actually wait a little bit, he didn't have quite enough to just do a standard one-yard kneel down. So he was taking the ball, backing up like a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and then kneeling down. And he ended up losing... I don't want to butcher. I think it was like he lost like four yards, then three yards, then five yards and landed what, what on the, the nose 29, which won me all my I bets. think one of them honestly was like seven or eight yards. I think one of them was like an egregious kneel because I was on the same thing. I'm going to say 2020 Super Bowl uh, playlist. Yeah. Uh, play by play or whatever. Play by play. You'll, you'll find it. But I, th- I feel like one of them was like seven or eight yards. I don't know why. It was the last plays of the game. The last so play I should be able to yeah. find it real quick. Uh, okay. Full play-by-play, got it right here. Oh, man, that was that was something special. Okay, I, so <laughs> first play, oh, my God, this was the best win I ever had in my life. Keep in mind, I needed under 29 and a half. First and 10 at the KC 41. And this was off an interception, by the way. I remember. I remember the, I, I was in London. This was Jimmy G early threw morning. it deep to, deep, like to Debo, and it got picked off. And then first and 10 at the KC 41, Mahomes kneels for minus five yards. Minus five. Already a trap, like a debacle. How does he lose five? First time out by San Fran, 53 seconds left. Second and 15, Patrick Mahomes kneels at the KC 33, minus three yards. I was thinking initially like, oh, if he kneels minus five there, I got a shot. Yep. It's dead. Third and 18. 
Patrick Mahomes kneels at the KC 26 minus seven yards. Cash them all, line them up, knock them down. I believe he needed to take like just a few more seconds off the clock in order to like officially run it out. And he didn't. There was five seconds left. Yes. And then it's Patrick Mahomes shotgun. He ran Ran back, back. threw it the whole field, sayonara, Super Bowl over. Right. Because I remember thinking in my head, I had the same bet as you. And after the first kneel, I'm like, hey, well, like this guy should just take some more time off the clock. Like, what are they doing here? And then you just saved it for You know, I definitely, I didn't celebrate, by the way, because you don't actually know what the stat is coming in at. You can't celebrate. I'm like, no, I'm too close. I got to wait to sell. And then I see it's minus seven. I'm like, not yet. Can't celebrate yet. You got to wait it out. I was already up a shit ton of money off of that national anthem that year. So you were already good. So I was already good no matter what. That was just like gravy. Incredible. God, that national anthem. That there, somebody oh, ha- someone said the yeah, la- last I, question. I, 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 this is the last one I'm about to ask. Yeah. What was one of your biggest edges that no longer exists? That was that was the biggest. The second biggest was um, I believe I've discussed this before, but NBA first to score props. For a long time, the NBA literally first team to score prop was priced as a derivative of the full game. So if like the Golden State Warriors were 15 point favorites over the Detroit Pistons, the Golden State Warriors are like minus 200 to score first. And guess what? The Pistons had Andre Drummond as their center, who wins like nine-tenths of the jump balls. And, and the, misses nine-tenths of his free throws. No, just kidding. But you would, you knew like with a very like high degree of certainty in a lot of these games, who was going to win the opening tip? And it was priced based off of the game odds. That edge did not last as long time. A lot of people were privy to it and became privy to it. But uh, that was the big one that I wish I had capitalized uh, a little bit more on. Nice. Um, for me, it ties before, like, I was, uh, I hit a lot of cash on um, NHL exact sixes when they started pulling the goalies earlier. And then it was a lot of 4-2 games with the empty netters. That was one. Doesn't exist anymore. Although they're starting to pull the goalies even more early now, so something might pop up on the sevens now, I think. Um, but it's a, it's tough to find, and I don't think there's anything specific there. Um, so, yeah, that's just one of them. That I'd say that's probably it. That no longer exists. You know what I love about the Q&A episodes? They don't have to really do any work to prep. It's the best. Well, I mean, I read them all before just so to do make I. sure. I, I, I want to go in like knowing. I don't want to be an asshole on air and just be like, oh, I came totally unprepared for this. That's not what I want to do. But it's, you know, it's nice. Uh, it's a nice laid back episode. For all us, right. right. That's it. This has been episode 78 of the Circles Off Sports Betting Podcast presented by Pinnacle. We'll see you all next week.